sourcing for innovation, making sense of the rapidly changing worlds of artificial intelligence, workforce development, and digital transformation. Sourcing for Innovation podcast, episode 25. My name is Adam Curtis, Communications Director at Catalyte, joined today by Jacob Shu, CEO of Catalyte. Jacob, how are you? I'm doing great, Adam. Great to be here. Are you looking forward to the July 4th weekend? I sure am. I sure am. <laughs> well, before we get you there, today we're going to be talking about innovation in sourcing models. You know, these are the emerging recruitment trends that focus on non-traditional talent. We see a lot of this in conversations around whether we need to have four-year degree requirements for certain positions, around apprenticeships, or around this idea of skills-based hiring. And all of these trends were really supercharged by the pandemic in the so-called great resignation that everyone's experiencing right now. So as a lead into this topic today, just lay out for us, if you would, at a very high level, what is the main sourcing or talent problem that employers are facing and what do they need an answer for? That's a great question, Adam. You know, I think we've been reading a lot of the press about the great resignation, which really at the end of the day, I've always thought about is, you know, people are leaving crappy jobs. <laughs> you know, that basically uh, the reason why you're facing the great resignation is people have options. There's choices. And of course, we as a country have been facing a talent shortage for decades now. And that talent shortage is only exacerbated. It's been driven by a skills gap in the market. There just are not the skills that are available in the market for new tech jobs. Um, so many of these tech jobs are changing so quickly, and that's leading to a skill shortage in the market. Uh, that skill shortage means that you know companies are having a more and more difficult time retaining the few people, the minority people who actually have those skills, right? And who also know how to acquire those skills because these skills are always transitory. So, you know, the career professional in the future in tech is going to need to continually acquire and keep current in, in those skills to be quote unquote marketable. Um, now, again, as we start thinking about the skill shortage, you know, what you're also seeing, you know, because there is a skill, a qualified skill shortage in the market, employers are facing, you know, massive retention issues of keeping people. They're also facing unpredictable quality. Right. So the quality of people who say that they can do what they can do, especially in this day and age of, of, of LinkedIn and, and, and web-based hiring models, you know, people are really good at garnishing their resumes. Right. But what we've found is that, you know, oftentimes people are really good at putting in those right buzzwords in their resumes without really being able to demonstrate the ability to do these, um, to, to demonstrate those skills and abilities as well. Um, all of this is sort of is, is really going down to, I think, frankly, the bottom line is affordability. And you're seeing across the board, you're seeing you know, salaries of entry level talent in some cases going up 50% a year. Um, and I'm not just talking about software developers, we're talking about across a wide swath of technology jobs. So as a, as a, as a country and as an industry, uh, employers are going to have to really uh, build back that muscle to produce and train entry level talent. It's the only way they're going to scale because the spot market of talent and skills has broken down and it's only gotten worse during the pandemic. Now, I want to get real nitpicky here. You mentioned both a talent shortage and a skill shortage. Are those one and the same or is it an inability using current or traditional sourcing models to find talent, even though that talent technically exists? And then is there a separate problem or maybe it's an interrelated problem to teach those skills or transfer those skills 
onto the non-traditional talent? I'm really glad that you asked that question, Adam, because that goes to the heart of the matter. What's really broken is our entire talent acquisition value chain. So how does talent exist today? How do employers you know, generally go about finding their talent? Um, for most of it, they're going to job boards, they're going to re traditional recruiting. If you think about traditional recruiting, they're looking for people who already have those skills. Right. When they go into a job market, they're looking for what I, you know, if we use an economic term, the spot market, right, is the existing market right now, people who are looking for jobs who may have a certain set of skills. Uh, the challenge that you're seeing is, again, again, when you look at the tech industry, these roles and these careers are becoming more and more specialized. You're not a general software developer. Employers are not looking for a generic software developer with a computer science degree. They're looking for a specific, they're looking for a developer with specific years of experience in a particular coding or development language in a particular domain, right? And so when you look at that, when you become more and more specific around the types of skills and technologies and capabilities you're looking for, that narrows the field in terms of the spot market of available skills. Now, the, and, and if you look at the existing value chain, how, is, how do those skills get created in the market? Today, mostly there's a big gap between what the traditional education industry, the call college or community college or even boot camps or other vocational schools and other, and, and other methods of, tra of, of people training and learning. They're not producing that specificity of skills that employers are looking for. So there's a widening gap between what's coming out of the traditional, the traditional value chain and what employers are seeking. Now, what's really radical, I think what's really different, and I think your question goes to the heart of this, is that you have to separate skills, the spot, the spot market of skills from talent. Right? And those are two separate concepts. Right. And what we've shown is that there is, a, there is emerging a different value chain now that is more efficient, that produces better talent, and that is more affordable. Um, and so when you look at uh, the, talent, the value chain that uh, uh, Catalyte is putting, is putting together in terms of field of source non-traditional talent, we've actually proven that we can discover exceptional talent raw abilities and potential in people, we then can put them in underwrite and invest in a skills transformation program for them where we can get them to very rapidly to acquire those skills, typically in a much faster process than, how, than, than the existing value chains, how they go through it. And ultimately, we can manage their performance on the job and ensure that they're successful during that initial launch of their career, ultimately we can we can create a new talent acquisition value chain that is about producing talent um, that ultimately is more affordable, it's more scalable, it produces a more diverse workforce, and ultimately creates a much higher performing, uh, much higher performance of that entry level talent um, in those careers right out the gate. Right. And so that's the real radical part is that the value chain is changing and the value chain needs to be disrupted for us to be able to address the skills gap. So what are the barriers for wider implementation and adoption of this? It seems that companies want a greater or larger talent pool. They would want a more affordable talent pool. They would want a longer lasting and stickier workforce. They would want a more productive workforce. But yet, outside of maybe a few market leaders, which we'll talk about in, in a few minutes, you're not really seeing this much. You're still seeing postings on LinkedIn, Indeed, these traditional resume or skills-based hiring methods. If that's still the predominant way to source talent uh, with you know traditional recruiting methods across the country, 
why haven't people adopted or what is the hesitancy or technological barrier for them to adopt these new sourcing methods? Well, I think there's a few things at work here, right? The first one is just the innovator's dilemma. The reality is that, you know, most organizations, very successful companies, the traditional value chain of going after traditional talent, um, it's worked, right, in the past. And I, and because it's worked for employers in the past, they've optimized their entire talent acquisition models for this kind of let's acquire skills, let's pay up for it on the spot market, right? And, and, and so I think that now you're in this new world where those old methods don't work, but all these organizations have, have built their entire processes around this, right? So this idea of throwing out the resume, right? This idea of let's not put people through subject matter interviews, let's, you know, that job test may be biased. All these things are all things that are, 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 are tough for organizations to wrap their brain around because they have to throw out stuff that potentially they thought worked for them, you know, a decade ago, right? I think that's number one, the kind of just the, the corporate inertia of, of being able to adopt new technologies. The second thing I think also is when we talk about this kind of data-driven talent acquisition process, um, companies don't have the right tools to do it, right? So what we're talking about fundamentally is a shift in philosophy and strategy. So companies are going from trying to uh, trying to buy that talent on a spot market and paying whatever a market rate is to really producing it, right? To investing in people, to be able to, dis to, to, to a model where they're, where they're creating that talent themselves. And so there's a different type of tool set, right? That companies are gonna need to be able to do that. The hardest thing that I think companies are facing is that question of how do you find signal? How do you find people who actually have potential, right? The, you know, the whole industry, I think people think about this whole process like it's a training uh, exercise. Like, oh, let's just go find raw talent, let's train them. Well, the reality is that, you know, the, the training model, it's not efficient, right? Because the, what we've also seen is that um, there are patterns in aptitudes and attitudes that predict for success for certain types of careers. A person who's going to be a digital media planner is different from a person who's going to be a, a Python software developer, right? A person who's going to be a product, a product designer is going to be different from somebody who's going to be a data analyst. And there are different skills, aptitudes, and attitudes that predict for success in these different career models. Uh, the reason I raise this is that what you found oftentimes is that even when companies have started to try, let's say, apprenticeship programs or they've started to try, you know, hiring people out of boot camps or quote unquote non-traditional, they still overlaid traditional methods of recruiting, job interviews, right? Where'd you work before? Let me tell you about your previous work experience. Uh, you know, let's put you, let's put you through a battery of skill tests, right? Um, they're still applying old methods to this new approach. And I think that's the reason why these things don't are, have been having a difficult time scaling. Um, you know, square peg in a round hole. You know, you can call it something different, but if you don't change the fundamentals or the underlying way in which you do it, the results are going to be underwhelming. And you just might think you have to throw it away, think that the whole new way of sourcing doesn't work, but it's not the sourcing methods. It's how you're applying them. Yes. And I'll tell you what's, uh, I'll give you a, a, a very specific example um, of, of some of these sourcing models. Um, you're applying old models to new ones and not working, right? So, for example, we are now producing digital media planners, right? And if you look at that world, uh, we've actually shown that we can find people from non-traditional backgrounds using our technology. So we can discover people who have these hidden abilities and talents that they may not even realize that they have. Um, so we've been able to source very quickly and very efficiently in a scalable way. 
um, when we put them through training, we've been able to figure it, we've found that we've been able to get them through the training process about two times faster than most other traditional organizations have, have done this. You know, the traditional method is that people recruited people from top, you know, employers recruited top talent from elite colleges and they put them through a corporate training program. But we have found that, you know, we can put people that we've sourced using from non-traditional paths and we've been able to put them through training faster. And now as we've started to deploy them to workplace, we've seen our people, you know, produce higher performing results, right? When you look at technical scores, non-technical scores, and why is that, right? And, and this is an industry where in this particular role, they have faced tremendous attrition, tremendous retention issues, um, high turnover. And when we start diagnosing, okay, what is the difference, right? What is the difference between the people we're producing uh, and, and the workforce we're producing for them and the traditional ways? I think there's a couple things that we found. Number one is that we're finding a different type of candidate that they would never have even tapped into, right? So, um, and I would make the argument that the type of talent that we're coming, that, that we're finding not only have great transferable skills, but actually more importantly, have a lot, have a lot of grit, tenacity, drive, and motivation to succeed, right? Um, they have got a different level of commitment. So that's, I think, something that's different. But what it also comes down to is it highlights the biases that actually creeps its way into the hiring process. So when you looked at some of these, we've compared this with other organizations inside that industry who also have had their own apprenticeship programs where they you know, went through a more traditional process. They had people interview people to assess if they had potential and abilities, then they put them through training, and then they put them to work. You've actually found most of those programs have been hit or miss. And why? What we have found, and funny, funny enough, is that the interviewers, the people actually selecting people who have potential and capabilities in and of itself is biased, right? So if you look at a lot of the leaders and, and so we, we earmarked, we compared this to one employer where the people who were interviewing potential candidates were people who came out of traditional marketing, branding, uh, communications backgrounds. Well, when they're interviewing for people, they were looking for a particular type of archetype, people that are kind of like themselves. <laughs> well, the role that we're actually creating is actually a fairly analytical data role, right? And so they were picking up on a different signal, a different type of person that they would have thought, you know, have potential. The reality is this is a completely different role that has slightly different skill sets and different profiles in terms of what makes a person successful. And so that's one of the disconnects that you see. Why has there been such high turnover, low job satisfaction with some of these roles is because fundamentally you're sourcing people who have a different aptitude, a different attitude that probably matches better for a different career model, data model than this, than for example, digital media planner one. I want to go back for a second. You mentioned both a shift in philosophy and a shift in strategy is really needed to adopt well, not just adopt, but adopt and optimize these new sourcing methods to actually produce the outcome that you want. Which one of those things needs to change first? Which one is the harder or which one is the easier to change within an organization? Well, I think it first comes down to, I think the first one is really philosophy, right? Is that, you know, to, to, you know, and you've seen this again, time and time again, in a the innovator's dilemma, right? In order to really shock an organization to be able to adopt a disruptive technology, you need strong executive sponsorship, right? You need a disruptor inside, a visionary inside an organization that's willing to drive this change because it is change, right? And so you need to be able to commit to a change. And of course, there's different ways. Of course, you should pilot a model, 
try, you know, try, you know, trial something, proof of concept it before you scale it. But generally, you know, finding executive sponsorship to try a proof of concept to do it differently. Um, I think that's number one, right, is is finding is is getting the having the vision and the uh, um, and, and, and having the vision and 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 really the drive and motivation to build to try something that's disruptive and new. I think secondly, those when you when when organizations have decided to try something, I think they have to really reconsider the entire value chain and try to find a different way to disrupt their existing process. As I mentioned, you know, companies who have kind of dipped their toes, who've trialed some apprenticeship models, who've tried to, to hire people from non-traditional backgrounds, they're still approaching it with traditional means, right? They're still thinking about it from the perspective of, oh, well, this is, you know, this is a training model. Oh, this is about training and it's not, right? It's actually much more about sourcing and discovery of skills and mapping sort of transferable capabilities than it is about training. Um, and, and so companies have to be able to adopt some new tools, new approaches and strategies, but it still comes down to really making the commitment to try something different to begin with. Other than Catalyte, are there other examples out there uh, that you can think companies can look to, to either borrow or steal ideas from uh, around this idea of you know, new innovative sourcing methods? I'm thinking specifically like our headquarters state here in Maryland, the legislature just got rid of the four-year degree requirement for many state jobs. I believe Colorado has done something similar. Is government where people should be looking to these ideas? We even know that you know much of the time government IT is much maligned for this. Could this be a way in which they are actually on the leading edge of these new sourcing models? Yeah, I think that we're very fortunate to be in a state like Maryland, right? That has that has decided to trailblaze and create a new model for sourcing talent. And, and, I, and I think this is the part where government can be an amazing catalyst, right? Which is how do we align a value chain so that you can create a new model, but be outcome focused by be outcome driven. And so to be very specific about this, um, the state of Maryland has gotten rid of degree requirements, which means that um, you don't need a four-year degree to qualify for a, 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 um, for, for a tech job for, um, in, in the state. And the way that the state has actually created a, created a new model, um, which we're participating in, is that you know they're getting you know not only are they getting rid of degree requirements, they're also making the um, ability to take apprentices and people who've gone through a training program like Catalytes, a skills transformation program like Catalytes, um, to to be able to qualify for open bids, right? So things that they would have gone to traditional vendors for other suppliers who have gone to the traditional means of recruiting, um, they put these new models now on equal footing um, from those traditional models to be able to at least qualify and prove that talent coming out of a Catalyte program is equivalent or better than talent that's coming out of traditional spot market of talent um, through the traditional means. Um, and the and what's innovative about this model is that we're not, nobody's chart, you know, we're not talking about charging training fees. We're not talking about charging placement fees. We're not talking about like, you know, what we're talking about is putting people on equal footing, which is let's get people to qualify. Let's make sure that we can, we, we can evaluate uh, talent based on what they can do on the job versus what the resume or what their pedigree would suggest they can do. These new models, do you see them focused specifically on the non-traditional and or entry-level market? Does the spot market still have a place if you're looking for a need 
and I, I say need here in the actual sense of you need someone with 10 plus years experience in next Y or Z language. Or is this something that you can apply across the board to entry level, mid level, senior level, traditional and non-traditional talent? It doesn't matter. Now, that's a great question, Adam. So I, I've always get caught up in this whole traditional versus non-traditional because, you know, I, I come from Silicon Valley and everyone I know who's been successful, who's, you know, founded tech companies, the majority of them are quote unquote non-traditional, right? Meaning they dropped out of college or they didn't go down the, tra the traditional path. Heck, I'm the CEO of a tech company. I was, a, I started off in finance, right? So most people I know who've reached, you know, highest level success in the tech industry are quote unquote non-traditional. <laughs> that being said, you know, and this goes to really the fundamental of what we're trying to prove here at Catalyte is that it really actually doesn't matter what the traditional and non-traditional means. You know, what cat if you look at what we do, right, um, from the way that we discover talent, what we've done is that we have we have used data, <laughs> outcome data and, and, and technology, data and advanced analytics and AI to create a more fair and open and inclusive way of assessing and discovering abilities and, and, and aptitudes. If you think about traditional hiring, there's really five traditional proxies that every company uses to hire and recruit talent. They look at where did you work before? So your previous work experience, they're looking at your education. Where'd you go to college? Um, and where'd you go to grad school? Um, they're looking, they may have some standard interview questions that they're going to ask. They may have some subject matter expertise questions or domain questions that they're going to ask you that are unstructured. And in this day and age, you're seeing a lot more job tests, right? Um, you know, whether it be a, a, a coding test or whether it be even a aptitude test in other industries. Well, all five of those different proxies are biased and all five of those proxies are imprecise. Now, each of them do have signal. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that any of them don't have signal, but they're biased, right? So for example, when you look at, let's say the R squared, the correlative value um, of your previous years of work experience and that, that R squared sort of correlative value to, you know, your performance on your, on this new job, it's actually 0.02 which basically means there is no correlative value. There actually is no correlation, right? Between your previous work experience and your performance on the, on, in this next job. Yet we use it as one of the most important measures for assessing whether or not a person actually is a fit for a particular role. And, and very simply it's because, you know, humans, you know, we can keep five measures. We can keep five methods in our head. Well, Catalyte, our approach using technology is that we have, over 500 proxies. We have a hundred times more ways of indexing and assessing a person's hidden aptitudes and attitudes. So for example, we're looking at a person's ability, instead of saying, where'd you go to college? Well, we're trying to assess your problem solving ability, right? Instead of asking, did you work in a similar industry before? We're looking at, okay, um, you know, do you have cognitive agility? How many, you know, do you have, are you able to synthesize complexity? Um, you know, we have lots of technical measures. We also have non-technical behavioral measures, even things like, for example, we'll measure, you know, how resilient a person may be, right? Um, we're, we're looking at really grit, tenacity, perseverance. And of course, we're looking at some behavioral stuff. Like, you know, we're, we can get down to the point of measuring how mercurial, how whimsical a person may be, right? Now, all of those things taken themselves don't tell us anything, right? But what you do is that because we have this, 
enormous data lake, right, of people over 20 years, over 20 decades, two decades now of people who've successfully gone from non-traditional backgrounds to ultimately success, in some cases becoming CIOs and CTOs or leaders of their, of their careers. Well, one of the things that you start to see is there are patterns that emerge of success, right? It's a heat map, right? You see that certain attitudes and aptitudes and behaviors are more likely to succeed in certain types of careers than others, right? And, and that's really fundamentally how this works. So going back to your question, um, what we're doing is that we're picking up on a whole lot more signal in people, right? So in your traditional proxy, you have five ways of picking up some signal. And again, people tend to hire people like themselves. <laughs> people tend to, just like we sort of like people who like us, right? It's sort of, it's, it's, it's human behavior, right? That's a bias. That's a survival mechanism that we have all evolved over many, many, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years to develop these, these biases that have kept us alive and survived, right? But those are antithetical to be able to find, those are antithetical to creating a wider aperture of discovering talent. So, so again, you know, by creating a more fair, open, inclusive way of assessing and, and, and discovering talent and potential, and again, I'm mentioning here, talent and potential, not skills, um, we're then able to identify people who have these exceptional abilities that you can very rapidly put them through a skill transformation process. Uh, if you think about what Catalyte does, everything that we do after the point of discovering that talent, you know, we're open about it. We'll tell people how to do it. We'll share those best practices, right? These are all methods that anybody can adopt, right? But it really comes down to the fundamental difference is that we're underwriting talent, right? We're investing in people. And what we've shown is that, you know, this new value chain of discovering exceptional potential, underwriting and investing in their skill transformation process, and then ensuring and mentoring and guiding them so they're successful um, right out the gate as they launch these new careers, We've proven that that new value chain of talent acquisition is more affordable, it's more scalable, it creates a more diverse and higher performing workforce than the traditional means. You just laid out, I think, all the value points for adopting this new way of thinking, these new innovative sourcing methods. But previously in your answer, you referenced that we're fighting against evolution, we're fighting against human nature to make this change. So what is it really going to take for employers to adopt, implement, and keep these new sourcing methods? Is it a carrot? Is there a reward to it, proving this works at a small degree and then growing it? Is there a stick approach where at some point in time, companies will start to fail and therefore have to adopt new models like this? What is the catalyst for change here? Well, I think first is companies should try it. And we've seen now what's powering, you know, so much adoption now is that companies who've tried this and proved it uh, through a proof of concept. And so we have companies now who start off with a handful of, of, of apprentices um, just to try them out. They then came back and said, this is great. Let's, we want to build a program with you. And we would then spin up a talent stream with them that, so using Catalyte's platform and program, we actually can build and create a company employer specific model, right? That customizes the, 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 the skill transformation process. And we've done that where companies now are starting to pull in talent that they are producing to spec based on their own existing needs um, that they can actually source by zip code anywhere in the United States. And they can even source by demographics um, in, in many instances. But once they've actually done that, what we've seen you know, now that we've actually gotten, you know, quite a few of these talent streams adopted, 
companies are coming back and they're coming back with continuous orders, right? We have companies now that are doing, you know, come back and say they need hundreds of people, right? That they want to go from, hey, I've gotten a handful to now I want to do a dozen to now I need to do three dozen a month, right, with you. And so you're starting to see, again, it's proving that success, right? Showing that this is more affordable, that this is people are more driven and motivated, they're performing better, um, they're staying longer. And then ultimately, you know, it's a different level of energy um, that they're bringing into these organizations. Um, I always love talking to, you know, I, I love sort of when I hear from my clients, the employers, I often think that there's, there's sort of a thing that's magical about what we do, the outcome. And one of the magical outcomes that I hear time and time again from employers um, is first, initially, when they're, when they're trying this out, first, that they're just shocked that people who didn't go through a traditional method um, are performing better, right? So there's that first initial, you know, reaction of, wow, people are so committed. People are so, they, they are, they're, they're working really hard and they are really driving some, they're really driving and committed. Um, uh, but the next thing that you hear from them is that suddenly you're seeing many of the people, they're getting faster promotions, they're getting faster salary progressions, and they're finding themselves in leadership positions um, faster because, um, and this is where I think that the industry is going to start to shift, is that employers have to stop thinking about people from non-traditional backgrounds as this being a liability or that they are quote unquote helping people, right? Really, they have to start thinking about people from non-traditional backgrounds as bringing a different set of skills that becomes a force multiplier to some of these new roles. Um, we have this great technology company who has, you know, their, their CEO has told us that three out of four of his engineering leaders are our alumni. And he said, just a few years ago, two of them were EMTs, one person was a prison's corrections officer, right? No one had known, they didn't know how to code before that, right? And he said, they're, they're now leading my engineering organization. They're leading traditional teams of software developers. And why, what makes them so good? He said, well, two of them, their, their transferable skill was they, they built careers, you know, saving people, right? Literally one in an ambulance, one as a firefighter, running a burning building, saving people as a career, right? Um, this, the other person, a prison correction officer, was keeping order, right? Managing a prison, <laughs> right? Keeping order in a prison. He said, imagine the management skills, the leadership skills that they brought to managing an engineering team. Like managing a scrum process is a nothing burger for them, right? It's easy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to die having someone recommit their code. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? And so you start, to, you start to see that there's a different type of talent. And this goes to what I think is the most exciting part that I think we're all on the cut of uh, unlocking is that there is incredible human potential that we and productivity that we can unlock, right? We're all on the cusp of showing that where all of a sudden there are new capabilities, right? New thing, new innovations, new, new, um, new capacity, innovation capacity that organizations can start to tap into by bringing in people with a different set of skills. By the way, you compare that to the typical engineering manager, um, you know, in a lot of these organizations, especially startups, they're probably a kid who came out of the traditional means is probably somebody who grew up in front of a screen who was coding <laughs> and probably, you know, hasn't been saving people as a career before, right? So these are some of the things that are different, right, about the type of people that we could bring to the table. Jacob, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. I'm sure we'll explore some of these topics further in the near future. Uh, last word. Anything else we didn't cover that you'd like to get across to the audience? 
Yeah. The last thing I will just say is I'd love to talk, you know, I've talked about the magic on the employer side and just seeing that these skills are force multipliers. I'll tell you, there's a, there's a piece of magic on the career seeker side too, for people coming into our programs. And I think this is also fascinating, right? And I think also is on the cusp of unlocking a different type of potential is that most people who come into Catalyte who've been employed, nine out of 10 people who come through our programs tell us that they never considered a career in technology. They never even considered that they could be a software developer or they could be a data analyst or that they could be a digital media planner. Um, you know, th that they took our screening, that they took our, they registered on our website because they heard it from somebody that here is a company that could help them sort of launch a new career. And they went and they went on our website and they went to the website and they took the assessment. Um, and what's amazing about this is again, is that people who are getting, who are coming in, nine out of 10 of them never thought about even making a career change. And that part of the magic of what Catalyze is doing is we're helping people discover something about themselves, right? That they're, they're, they're really able to, they're, they're able to find, unlock a hidden superpower that they probably didn't even realize that they had before. Right. And that's one of the things that I think is, again, when we start thinking about unlocking the productivity, the, the, the innovation, um, you know, really the, the human potential, um, you know, in, you know, in the workforce, you know, how do we f get more and more people to discover these skills, discover these latent abilities that they didn't have, right. Who, you know, who frankly, you know, you know, are, are you know, ha are qualified for a whole set of opportunities that can be life-changing, game-changing um, for generations to come. Um, that's one area of sort of, you know, that we can unlock. The other area, again, for employers is unlocking entirely new skills, new capabilities in their workforce that they never even thought were capable in those particular career models and jobs that they were offering. Jacob Shu, CEO of Catalyte, thank you so much again for being our guest on the Sourcing for Innovation podcast. Thanks, Adam.